Welcome to the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Now here's your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today we're learning about the transformative 12 Neighbors community in Fredericton, New Brunswick. This initiative stands as a beacon of innovation in addressing the critical issue of affordable housing in Canada, particularly in regions like Newfoundland and Labrador, where the challenge is being seen and felt by many of our community members. 12 Neighbors offers more than just homes. It's a model for skill development and social enterprise, fostering community growth and individual empowerment. Stable housing isn't just a basic need, it's a critical determinant of health, both physically and mentally. Our special guests today are Marcel Lebrun, the visionary founder of 12 Neighbors, and a leader in the community, Mayor Al. Now, Marcel is a software entrepreneur turned social innovator, and he brings a unique perspective on tackling homelessness by combining housing with opportunities for personal and professional growth for its inhabitants. Mayor Al is a former resident of the Fredericton Streets and now stands as a symbol of hope and transformation within the community. He embodies the change that 12 Neighbors aims to achieve. Now, in our conversation, we'll explore how 12 Neighbors isn't just a housing project, but a community building endeavor. We'll delve into Mayor Al's journey from homelessness to becoming an integral part of the community and hear his views on the limitations of shelters and his role as a brand ambassador for a brighter future. Marcel will share his insights on the transition from being a tech entrepreneur to a social change maker and the importance of dignity in housing and their holistic approach to tackling homelessness. So let's uncover the stories of resilience, community, and hope at 12 Neighbors, and how this innovative model is providing a much-needed solution to Canada's affordable housing crisis. It's a conversation about creating sustainable change and nurturing human potential. Hi, Marcel. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Uh, happy to be here. Well, it's great that you're here today. We're talking about an important topic, and you have had a pretty inspiring project in Frederick, New Brunswick. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and the project you're working on? Yeah, well, my background is actually a software entrepreneur. So I'm, I'm a software engineer. I've worked in the startup world for the most part, starting companies, building software companies. So this is a bit of a shift for me. In 2015, I rewired, I guess, instead of retired and started to look at uh, what could I do to make a difference in, in my city. Uh, I had some recent positive experiences as an entrepreneur and I was just like, what you know, what could I do? And I started to get involved in a whole bunch of things to learn. And one day it was interesting, someone asked a question of an individual who'd been working in uh, homelessness for about 30 years and asked him, you know, what advice do you have for someone entering into this space? And he said, uh, well, I'm really proud of the work we've done the last 30 years, but the thing that breaks my heart is we haven't changed our city. Things are worse than they were. So my advice is maybe don't just do all the things we've been doing, but maybe you have to think about this a little differently. And that really got me going. And uh, all that led to a lot of research, three, four years research, and then ultimately to the creation of the 12 Neighbors community in, in Fredericton. Mm. And it's such an important community and incredible model that other communities could copy or at least modify to address that housing crisis and the homelessness we see going straight across the country. Can you tell me a little bit about the program and when was it first established? So our very first resident moved in Christmas Eve almost two years ago. So it'll be their two-year anniversary uh, this Christmas Eve. And about two years before that, I started doing a lot of work and figuring out, well, what is the need? And for me, one of the biggest things that popped is just how many of our interventions, if we call it that, 
in the West tend to be emergency relief oriented, whether it's governments or nonprofits. You know, we jump in to help with the urgent need, but we're not as good at development, at actually helping people to build capacity, build independence. So the focus that we say is our mission is to help people overcome barriers to a full and independent life. And we do things with people, not for people. But housing is the starting point. Uh, without a house, it's just impossible to work on anything else. You know, I know you talk a lot about health on this podcast. I always... Um, not really joke, but I kind of say, wouldn't it be amazing if a doctor could write a house as a prescription? You know, you, you might be meeting a patient and all of a sudden you presented with this issue, this issue, this issue, and you can, you can prescribe drugs, but what the person needs to start with is a house. And wouldn't it be amazing? And you, you go into Shoppers Drug Mart with your prescription, and you're like, please fill this prescription for a house, you know, because that's the fundamental basis of a foundation for health. So um, so housing is our starting point, but then we go further and we help people with their social supportive relationships, all the social determinants of health, moving toward personal goal development and then ultimately to employment. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I think that you're, you're right, though, about the emergency response to things. We even do the same thing in health, though. You know, it's we have sick care systems as opposed to health care. We look at that. And, and you're right. Like, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the most important thing is to make sure you have a roof over your head so you can be safe and secure. And then you can start to look at other aspects of your life. So with your program, how many homes do you currently have? Because I know you've been growing quite rapidly over a short period of time. Yeah, we have 80 homes built now. We're building 99 in the community, in, in the location where we're building currently in Fredericton. So we'll be finished the 99 in April. We build a house every four business days with a crew of about 20 people. And um, we move people, about four or five people into homes every month. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, and you also mentioned social enterprise. So you guys are helping people that don't have homes, but you're also equipping them with different skills so they can become productive members of the community. What are some of the social enterprises you guys are working on? Yeah. So we actually are just uh, uh, getting close to finishing a 12,000 square foot building, which we have kind of as an anchor of our uh, community. And the whole purpose of the building is developmental and employability training through social enterprise. It's not, you know, sit in a classroom, learn a bunch of skills, and then go out in a work placement. It's recognizing that people have, in some cases, fair, fairly significant barriers to employment that takes a really progressive, patient approach. And so in the building, we're going to have a, a cafe called Neighborly Coffee that's open to the public, uh, a retail store. We have a branded apparel business that we started doing screen printing and design. And then um, a kitchen for neighborly catering, neighborly kitchen, a teaching kitchen, and then a construction space where we hope to continue to build homes to continue to address affordable housing. Um, as you know, um, federal government's been, been pushing a lot of municipalities to open up housing density and to allow more garden suites and accessory dwelling units and things like that. So we hope to be, continue building homes uh, to provide more affordable stock, but, but throughout the city. Yeah. I, I guess the question that comes back is that this is a, a huge venture that you've taken on. This obviously has to consume a ton of your time. You were a successful entrepreneur in tech. What motivated you to completely switch gears? I'm sure you had endless opportunities. You could have gone into the business world and continued on, but you know, you said it was to, to make a difference, but housing in particular, why did you choose that? Well, I went to about 30 different places 
in uh, mostly in North America, a couple in Africa, and asking the question, who's doing the best work at changing things, not just meeting needs, the flywheel of needs that grows. And uh, the, the emergency relief is not in, in and of itself bad when it's called for. What happens is when we misapply relief to a chronic situation, we actually normalize the chronic situation and we extend it and we, we just kind of grow this flywheel of needs. So I, I got really intrigued by this and, and started traveling and learning from various organizations. And uh, it's, it's really a complex problem, you know, but it's like anything else. When you look at something, when you first get into something, it might look simple and you realize, oh, there's way more to this than I thought. But then you look at it long enough, it starts to simplify again, where you start realizing there's a few fundamental things that, that really matter. And one of the things that hit me was I visited a place, beautiful place called Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, California, the largest gang rehab reentry program in the world. Three to 400 ex-gang members working in one of nine social enterprises in LA. And, um, and the founder there said, said to, talked about uh, the whole point of this place he said, is so that these men and women know their value. And what hit me was just how what I would call a poverty of circumstance, you know, leads to a poverty of identity and, and it gets really embedded. You know, this is who I am uh, and an identity narrative that's less than. And the work they do there is just to help people. And it takes years to start to realize, no, actually, I do have some value. I do have some capabilities. And to tap into people's skills is really important. So for us, housing was clearly the starting point because the evidence is so clear that you, you when you're in survival mode without housing, there, you know, there's nothing else that you can work on. But we do that wrong. Sometimes even in our emergency shelters, we, we come along and we say, oh, let's add these services in our emergency shelters, you know, um, GED, you know. The, the problem with trying to do your GED when you live in the emergency shelter is that's not the place you should be doing it. What you should be doing when you live in an emergency shelter is finding housing. Then you, you can work on a GED. But we, we as charities, we add these things so we, we do more things. But what you're doing is actually normalizing life in a shelter. This is a normal. You should be here for six months while you work on your GED. You should actually be there as short as possible. So... Uh, you know, it just became this whole world for me that, that got exciting. And I thought, you know, it'd be nice to see if we can build something that'll really help people really get their feet under them. We're exploring the Innovative 12 Neighbors program in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and discovering how its unique initiative is combating homelessness and offering new opportunities to those facing challenges in our communities. Stay with us and learn about this model that's inspiring change right here on the East Coast. We'll be right back after the break. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back. We're exploring the innovative 12 Neighbors program in Fredericton, New Brunswick. We're discovering how this unique initiative is combating homelessness and offering new opportunities to those facing challenges in our community. Let's get back to the interview and learn how this model is inspiring change right here on the East Coast. I mean, I don't think people realize how little of a choice it is for, for individuals. They get born into circumstances and those tend to self-perpetuate over generations and there's generational trauma that occurs. We recently did a project in New Zealand where we saw the same thing with young gang members and a lot of them are just forced into it. It's the only form of society they can participate in. 
And when you were looking around, you've obviously done your homework on auditing all the different projects out there. What one did you decide to be the benchmark and base your project off of, or did you create it from best practices of all of them? It's kind of a hybrid because, um, you know, I mentioned Homeboy Industries. They're primarily a social enterprise working on employment skills. They don't do housing. Interestingly, I think they're going to be moving toward housing because they recognize that when the former gang members go back to their home turf, you know, there's a struggle there with trying to to pursue a new direction. Um, but uh, it was kind of a hybrid of various places. I remember there's a gentleman in, in San Francisco, um, his name is Del Seymour. They call him the mayor of the Tenderloin District. The Tenderloin's one of the you know highest homeless populations in, in North America, in the US anyway. And I was an executive at salesforce.com who has the biggest building in San Francisco, you know? And I remember while I was there, every once in a while at lunchtime, I'd go buy some food and, you know, walk around and give people food and thinking, okay, yeah, here I am working for Salesforce, like I should do something, you know? And I remember meeting Dell and he gave me a tour of the Tenderloin and he said, uh, stop bringing food around here. <laughs> we got enough food. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, there's like 200 plus charities that bring food here. He goes, some of them will drive by in a van and throw food on the sidewalk. He said, that doesn't help. He said, what we don't have is hope and dignity. And so if you want to make a difference here, you got to think about how do you give someone an opportunity to change their situation? Because this man right here, he's going to die in this homeless shelter. He's getting 700 a month on social assistance. He might make $702 a month when he's dead, you know, but that's it. He has no hope that anything will change. And you give him a sandwich, you're just saying, obviously, I can tell by looking at you that you don't have what it takes to get your own sandwich and the solution has to come from without. What people need is a friend that can come along and believe in them and actually encourage them to move ahead in their lives. And I I was blown away and, and spent enough time with them to realize, I don't think I can actually help in San Francisco by dropping in. I'm there for three, four days. What I need to do is invest in him and his work and what he's doing. And he runs an organization called Code Tenderloin, which again is is trying to help people in the Tenderloin get skills to work in tech, actually, because that's where the jobs are in, in, in the city. So it was a lot of places. It's the culture that they have there. It's the way they invest in people and how they focus on identity. And those are the things that, that hit me that is the center of the work. Yeah. That's interesting. So a question on that before we move off to how you're able to make it work. Do you find that when individuals are given that opportunity to be able to make a difference, to be able to grow themselves, they take it? Well, that's an amazing question. And in fact, the, the founder of Homeboy, uh, his name's, he's a Jesuit priest, Father Greg Boyle. And uh, he said to me when I was a young priest in my 20s, he goes, I thought, okay, I got to figure out the key to being able to go to the street and figure out how to get someone out of gang life, you know? And uh, like I was the rescuer. And then I realized there, there's no answer to the question. And his, his statement is, it takes what it takes. And he's like, I used to think, well, you know, if, if these certain conditions, you know, materialize, they'll say, okay, I'm ready. You know, I want out. He goes, I've done this long enough to realize there's no formula. It just takes what it takes. So, uh, so you're not the rescuer. You're not the problem solver. All you can do is create opportunity and people have to make the choices. Now, you have to put them in a position where choices are available because as you said, people, generational trauma. I remember meeting a gang member, ex-gang member who 
you know, he joined the gang when he was nine to get away from his other gang, his father's gang, because his he was his father was doing break and enters with him as a kid, putting him through the window at five years old to come unlock the front door to support his father's heroin addiction. And he left and joined the gang at nine. And, you know, he's he's 40 years old, been in prison most of his life. And, and I asked him a question and said, you know, what made you decide to want to change? And he said, I always wanted to change. Yeah. This never thought I could. I don't have a choice. I only know how to do one thing, sell drugs. That's the only thing I know. And so then Homeboy came along and gave me an off-ramp. I took it. So that's what we do is we see ourselves as providing opportunity and creating conditions where if people are ready to want to do the work, the support is there. And so the short answer is yes. Yeah. But it's not because we we magically know how to do it. You know, I have a a, a gentleman that I met living in his car a um, year and a half ago and in the Walmart parking lot next door to our community, watching us uh, grub the trees, didn't even know what we were building there. And we advocated for him and got him housed. And long story short, a year and a half later, he's now off social assistance, employed full time, far more healthier than he was. And they're all just, it's his own determination, his own resilience, uh, his own choices that got him there. But we gave him a platform, you know, an opportunity. And there might be others given the same opportunity who, who for whatever reason, uh, will struggle for much longer. And we just continue to invite is what we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, you know, the people are all different types of people. There's people who have been born into opportunity that don't take it, and there's people that are born without opportunity that do take it. And I think that's a really interesting take on uh, on on the dynamic there. Uh, you know, I'm going to scoot ahead to a question as well, and that is, how do you select the people to be part of your community? Because it sounds like you are quite successful with advocating for for certain folks. Well, many cities in the country have adopted uh, coordinated access systems. So the idea there is that various organizations in the city collaborate to have a no wrong door approach where if individuals present at a shelter, health clinic, et cetera, they can go on what we call a by names list, the list of individuals experiencing chronic homelessness. So when we have a house available, we say, oh, we have four houses five houses, December 1st, we go to the by names committee and they bring us the names and our units are subsidized rentals. So the, 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 uh, they're geared to income. So if someone's, let's say living on social assistance in New Brunswick's like $636 a month, which is just mind blowing to live off that, but basically their rent is set at a third of that. So they might be paying 200 a month all in power, water, rent, heat, everything. Um, and it would change if they got employed, that kind of thing. Hmm. Okay. So that brings me to a, a question about how this is possible because again, you talked about US models that have worked, but this is Canada and wondering how do you fund this type of project? Well, the, the, um, the start of it is really my wife and I, and so it's it's a twelve million dollar project overall that we're building. And uh, you know, my wife and I have have put uh, about a third of that in, and then we've also been able to get provincial and federal programs. Uh, in New Brunswick, there's a program called the Affordable Rental Housing Program. It provides a capital grant and a subsidy. 
And so the province and the feds are partners. And then we also have a lot of business community support as well. Uh, we build the houses ourselves. So everyone from Home Depot and, and uh, Allsco Windows and Fantech Air Exchangers that have come alongside and given us discounted products to try to build the houses more economically. Uh, we have a local capital safe and lock, a local lock company who every time we go and say we need eight more locks, they just give them to us, you know. Um, so that's made made a difference as well, has really helped. Uh, but those are the primary funders. And it is something that I hear I hear from people across the country all the time. How did you get this going? Because there are many places I've struggled. And it's what I learned as a startup. Any startup that's successful has gone through a lot of difficulty. There's no easy path. And so learning to execute and overcome hurdles. And it does help to have community leaders because government struggles with execution, especially something a little bit out of the box. But we were able to convince them that what we were building was going to be well run and 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 uh, and thought through. And that certainly was key to making the whole thing work. That's right. And you know, one of the things we haven't really clarified yet is, can you describe what these houses are like? Are they big houses? They small houses? How do they work? Well, they're tiny houses. Yeah. So they're fully detached houses. We, we call ourselves 12 neighbors. They're in little blocks of 12. And so when you move in, you get 12 closer neighbors and they're 10 and a half feet by 24 feet long. They all have little front porches, which is really important. And about six houses kind of face each other. And uh, we set up the community to be very very community oriented, very walkable. There isn't a parking spot on each house. Most community members don't have cars. So it's more walkable, bikeable, and uh, a lot of shared green space. So there'd be some green space between the six houses and they can kind of hang out and do things that they like to do together. And they're fully equipped, bathroom, kitchen, storage, loft, air exchangers. They're 105% better than code. So all, you know, triple glazed windows. We have solar panels on every house. We actually have the largest grid-tied solar array in New Brunswick now, about th- almost 300 kilowatts of solar cumulatively on all the houses. And, um, and interestingly, a, a side effect that I didn't think of at first is that solar actually has a dignifying effect because um, or people don't have solar panels on their houses. So it's something that's special, right? And I would say the communities, in my view, is optimized for dignity. Uh, you'd say, well, why wouldn't you, could I have built it cheaper with a multi-dwelling unit? The answer is yes. You know, it's cheaper to operate and to build, but I wanted people to have a high sense of ownership and you have a much higher sense of ownership, but it's your own door, your own porch, your own grass around it, uh, as opposed to a shared door, shared wall. Plus we can house individuals who might struggle otherwise with, um, you know, someone on the other side of the wall making noise or, you know, things like that. So it's about higher chance of achieving and maintaining housing stability, higher chance of sense of dignity. That's kind of all that went into the the choices. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like an absolutely fabulous program, and I can't wait to come see it next time I'm in Fredericton. You know, we're winding down here now, but is there anything you want to leave our listening audience with? Um, I think the the interesting thing is when we look around, every one of us has walked down the sidewalk, and there's a there's somebody with a cup in front of them. Should I put money in? Should I not? What can I do to help? You know, that kind of thing. And 
the the challenge is when you're walking down the sidewalk, you don't know anything about that person. You don't know anything about their history. And and then and you feel this set like I, I don't I don't have an issue anymore if I walk by somebody, I realize I can't I can't help that person unless I have an, a context. I need a context to be able to listen, understand, learn. And um, so I guess my thought is to, to anybody who's out there and saying, you know, what can I do to help is get, get involved, you know, with an organization that is in a relational, a natural relational context with people that need help. So you have a legitimate reason to hang out with them get to know them, listen, learn, and then the the solutions get kind of obvious. But I like to encourage everyone to think about, let's be smart and not just give someone a sandwich, but how do we actually believe in someone and help them to believe in themselves and unlock their capabilities? I've seen resilience in people like anyone who's currently living in recovery from having like hard drug addiction is a thousand times stronger than me. Mm-hmm. I've seen people that are fighting the fight every day and their resilience blows my mind. They're so strong and so capable, but they may not look that way. So people have a lot of strength if uh, they're given the opportunity. So anyway, those are my thoughts. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. It's truly inspirational and it's fantastic to see somebody like yourself giving back in such a meaningful way to the community. Awesome. Thank you. We're exploring the Innovative 12 Neighbors program in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and discovering how its unique initiative is combating homelessness and offering new opportunities to those facing challenges in our communities. Stay with us and learn about this model that's inspiring change right here on the East Coast. We'll be right back after the break. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back. We're exploring the innovative 12 Neighbors program in Fredericton, New Brunswick. We're discovering how this unique initiative is combating homelessness and offering new opportunities to those facing challenges in our community. Let's get back to the interview and learn how this model is inspiring change right here on the East Coast. Hi, Meryl. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really glad we could chat about this. This is an exciting program. Maybe you could tell me a little bit about yourself before we begin. Um, so, uh, my girlfriend and I were homeless for five years here in Fredericton and obviously it was a rough five years. So in the end, what happened was, um, you know, after all that stuff, uh, there's a, a fellow that, that's an employee here, Steve Patterson, and he had, we had kept in touch the whole time I was homeless. He got working in here and he remembered me from all our calls, called me up and said that he had a place in 12 neighbors for me. And I was the third one in. Wow. And and how long have you lived in the community for now? So now it's going to, um, in February, it'll be two years. Wow. So that was right near the beginning of the whole project. Yeah. So I was third one in and I got to watch all these houses come in and the social enterprise being built. Um, and that's all those built. Um, there's still some more houses to come in, but to watch them all come in, it was just, uh, when I was here, it was just snow and 
nothing else around, just three houses, and uh, it's come a long way. That's excellent. And I hear you've had a big part of this. You know, one of the one of the names they call you is Mayor Al. You've obviously been an integral part of the community growing. Tell me a bit about why you've sort of got that title from everybody. So the the reason that that came, I was working at the warehouse with Marcel. We were building tables with a couple of guys that that uh, live in this community. And um, I would come back here and people would ask me what color the next house is. And I would tell them, and this went on for a little bit. And then somebody had said, you should be mayor. And then they started calling me Mayor Al, and that's kind of where that went. That's awesome. You you were in the know. You had all the insider information, which is great. Yeah, that, <laughs> that helped a lot. Not everybody calls me Mayor Al. I mean, there are some new people here. And a lot of people that come here from homelessness don't always have cell phones or, or are on social media. But I mean, I think the majority know that um, I'm Mayor Al. I, I haven't been elected as mayor. I just took it upon myself. <laughs> that's excellent. Well, that's excellent. You know, and obviously coming from a background where you were homeless to now being part of a community that's doing incredible things for the whole city. How has this impacted you personally? Um, so my whole life changed since I've been here. Uh, right from day one, I think I met Marcel right away. He wanted to start something with building picnic tables. I kind of jumped in right away here. I, wasn't I didn't stay in my house and I wanted to be a part of something which was great and we did the tables and they were beautiful and then things just progressed from there so right now I'm a brand ambassador I do have 12 new shirts that I wear and I, I love it here the community's great you know Marcel's great he's introduced me to numerous people and I've met hundreds of people here and it's all been really good and I love it and I love meeting the people and doing um, interviews uh, on the news or whatever it may be I like to do it yeah well you're good at it actually it's really hard to be interviewed <laughs> so you're very good on recording I tell you so the thing I guess that I need your perspective on I think is important is that shelters are quite often used to try and help remedy the the homeless problem how is something like 12 neighbors different than a shelter what does it offer to the people that participate in it so shelters to me um i'm not a big fan of course um i am for if somebody needs a a place immediately and they need that help but i don't think living in a shelter is a good thing in here you're going to get a home um, and it's yours so you can fix it up the way you want. Um, we do have porches, which is great. We can sit out. There's, you just get that, um, when you come here, you get that sense of a home. It's, it's not an apartment and you feel like it's a home. And when I walk in here, it's a home. And when I walk out and go away and I come back, I unlock my door to my home. And I want everybody to have that. Of course, I want that for everybody in Canada. Um, but I'm I'm glad I'm a part of it. And I'll always be a part of 12 Neighbors. I don't think it's that's something that's ever going to go away from me. 
I think it would change a lot here fast and it's all for the good. That thing, there's no bad ideas when it comes from Marcel. It's always good. And I like to listen to him and he's been a, a big inspiration in my life. And I kind of go by what Marcel's doing and what he's saying. And if I have something, I might have a little small bit of input and I, I do let him know how I think about some of the things that can change here. Yeah. Maybe for the better, but I'm not trying to change people and I'm not definitely not trying to change anything Marcel's going to do because he's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> well, it also sounds like you're quite the inspiration as well. And I think that coming from you, I have a question I think is really, really important. And that is, what do you think people that aren't homeless should know about individuals that are struggling with homelessness? Like what's a perception that you wish didn't exist or something you want to clarify? So something for me, it's, I think a lot of homeless people don't understand because of they don't have phones and, and they're not on social media is that there's a lot of people out here advocating for them. Like I actually do it. Uh, Marcel does it. I know a bunch of people in New Brunswick, all over New Brunswick that really want these homes. And I know it's, it's not an easy thing. Um, it's not been easy for. For this community we learn as we grow and uh, i wish i could get out there and tell all the homeless people we're here and we're trying to help you and if you're going to do anything at all do something positive out there whether and it can be small throw your garbage in the garbage do the things that you should do as a human and make it so that people want to help you mm -hmm. and Unfortunately, we can't go out and talk to all those people and let them know that. But I really wish we could. That that would be a, a really big thing for me if they just understood that we are here. Yeah, and what message would you have for the people that are, are, are seeing homelessness? What message would you have about giving an opportunity to somebody who may be homeless? You know what? I, there's homeless people that, that I've met, and I'm like, I wish they could get in here. There is a process. Unfortunately, we don't get to pick and choose who comes in here. I mean, that's done through housing, of course. So people do come. And I do have to say it's not for everybody. I, I'll say to Marcel, I think I said to him last week, that there's a fit for everybody. And I hope everybody finds their fit. And if it's this, then that's a great thing. And I'm hoping that this will make other people in all of Canada get involved. You don't have to go extreme. Our place is very extreme right now. And I wouldn't expect somebody to jump in and do that, but throw a dozen houses in there, have your land and be ready to, to put more. But I would start small and, and build up. We're exploring the innovative 12 Neighbors program in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and discovering how its unique initiative is combating homelessness and offering new opportunities to those facing challenges in our communities. Stay with us and learn about this model that's inspiring change right here on the East Coast. We'll be right back after the break. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. We're exploring the innovative 12 Neighbors program in Fredericton, New Brunswick. 
We're discovering how this unique initiative is combating homelessness and offering new opportunities to those facing challenges in our community. Let's get back to the interview and learn how this model is inspiring change right here on the East Coast. When I when talking to you and Marcel, both important figures in this project, but why do you think the whole project, the whole community has been so successful? Well, the success comes from mistakes too. We learn from them as we go along, but this here place, um, it's run, but we do have staff members here. Um, we have um, somebody that does, uh, that'll do rehab. So there's lots of help in this community. There's houses right now that you can go to. Um, I think a lot of people go there and, and they're doing well when they go. They're, they're speaking to some of our staff members and, and getting to know some of their neighbors. It's just up a little ways from me, but I mean, this is a big place. And uh, I think they're doing good. I, I like to believe that everybody is, is trying and, and making it at home. You know, I was here a year and didn't hang up a picture. Um, when I went homeless, it was, you know, a company and they had decided not to subsidize anymore and they put 70 some people out on the street at the exact same time. So that brought more homelessness, I'm sure. It brought it to me. So I, I remember moving out and seeing a, a lady and her young daughter moving out and it really broke my heart because I'm thinking, where are they going? You know, and I don't know whatever happened to them, of course, but I did feel for them as much as myself. I'm leaving, but I, I felt bad for them. I think a little more than than myself. I don't have children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't get in here with a child that it doesn't work that way here. But uh, I hope that whoever got evicted from that time is, is all doing well. But I, I have spoke to a lot of homeless people. Well, let's talk quickly about the social enterprise you have going on right now. I know that you guys are starting to do a new coffee shop. You've got branded material. How does it feel to gain that skill set? Or what have you seen with the people that you're living with when it comes to them gaining those skills and contributing? So in our social enterprise, we have the upstairs is filled with offices and there's going to be all kinds of help up there. So when you go upstairs in the enterprise center, that's going to be your help place. The cafe, that's just going to be an owl thing. <laughs> but but uh, I've watched the uh, Enterprise Center grow real, like right from the ground. I was there for the first pour of the cement. Uh, it's right out my window. So I see everything that's happening on a daily basis. And to watch that grow is amazing. And it's the ca when the cafe opens, it's going to be beautiful. But right now, that place is beautiful. We've got a great big warehouse to build houses. We have a lot of offices upstairs and the downstairs, of course, at the cafe. And when it opens up, it's going to be a, a amazing place. And I think that it's it's going to help a lot of people. And, and I think Marcel's going to bring some people from the outside. Um, we really want to concentrate on youths getting transitioned from the homes they're in and trying to get them established we don't want to just forget about our youth either they're very important and and i hope that uh no matter who comes here and how this goes it's going to go great and i do look at it and like a lot of people are watching us and to see if this place succeeds 
and of course it's going to and and i hope that it'll help bring more of these tiny homes all across canada that's fantastic al i really appreciate that insight that we're starting to wind down here now but i guess the, the question i would have would be you know is there any last message you want to leave with our listeners when it comes to projects why this is an important initiative and, and what they can do in our community the homeless need help in some ways um i would probably try and, and go away from the shelters and say let's make tiny homes available to wherever we can and i know there's a lot of people with properties just let us put some houses on them let the people out there put some houses on them and let them grow and let their communities grow and help the homeless people. The population of homeless people across Canada is so big and I want help for everybody. That's fantastic. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job helping out your community. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your insights. Thank you, Mike. Thank you to Marcel and Mayor Al for their valuable contributions to this discussion. It's been an interesting conversation that shed light on the multifaceted nature of homelessness and the transformative power of community-driven initiatives like the 12 Neighbors Program. Throughout our discussion, we've gained insights into how innovative approaches to affordable housing, like those implemented in the program, are making significant strides in addressing homelessness. The journey of Mayor Al from experiencing homelessness to becoming a pivotal figure in the community is a testament to the power of providing not just shelter, but a sense of belonging and purpose. Marcel's visionary shift from being a successful tech entrepreneur to a catalyst for social change underscores the impact that an individual's determination can have on addressing complex social issues. I hope this conversation has highlighted a crucial understanding that solutions to homelessness extend beyond just providing a roof over one's head, but it's about fostering a sense of dignity, offering opportunities for skill development, and creating an environment where individuals feel empowered to take control of their lives. Now, for those of you that are inspired by today's episode and are interested in learning more about the 12 Neighbors Initiative, I encourage you to visit their website, www.12neighbors.com, and that's the number 12. The program offers a unique combination of housing solutions and personal development opportunities and avenues for community engagement. It reminds us that every person deserves the dignity and the opportunity to contribute to their community. Well, thank you for joining me. That's our episode this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.